Well, if you open your Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, along with the book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and, um, you know, the Lord said about David that David was a man after his own heart. The Lord said about Solomon that he was the wisest and the wealthiest man who ever lived. And uh, there are... Um, there are things about both David and Solomon that seem to contradict what the Lord says about them, but there are other things that make it all work. And the truth is, nobody is perfect, and uh, the key to some of the qualities that the God, that the Lord wants us to achieve is found in us understanding that we don't have those qualities within ourselves. But uh, but Solomon, and there's, uh, there's a lot of what he says in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes that uh, make you question the idea about his wisdom. And yet he comes to the right conclusion at the end. But in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, though he doesn't mention friendship, he is talking about friendship. Notice what it says, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse number 9. Solomon says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's often said that one of the primary reasons that marriages are successful, those that are successful, one of the primary reasons is that the spouses or best friends, husbands and wives who are best friends. Um, but you know that's not always the case. There are some who have been married for a long time that, uh, that don't achieve that status of best friends. There's an 83-year-old woman in New York City who was arrested for shoplifting. When she came to court, the judge asked her if she was guilty of stealing. The woman said yes. The judge said, what did you steal? The woman said, a can of peaches. The judge said, why? And she said, because I was hungry. The judge asked her how many peaches were in the can. The woman said, six. Then the judge gave his ruling. Your sentence is going to be six days in jail one for each of the six peaches in the can. At that point, her husband spoke up, realizing an opportunity to shed some light on the situation. So the judge agreed to listen. And the husband said, I thought thought you ought to know that she also stole a can of peas. 
guess they weren't best friends. Uh, uh, so what, what is a friend? Uh, several quotes. Friends are those people or those rare people who ask how you are and then actually wait to hear the answer. Uh, a friend is someone who is there for you when you'd rather be somewhere else. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Real friends tell you when your face is dirty. Have you ever been out with someone or doing something with someone who's supposed to be your friend and, uh, and you go in uh, the bathroom and look in the mirror and you see you got a smudge on your face or something's, you know, something's wrong. You think that if you're married, you'd think your husband or wife would have told you about it. Um, Irma Bombeck said, a friend is someone who thinks you're a good egg, even though you're a little cracked. A friend hears the song in my heart and sings it to me when my memory fails. That's, that's a good one. That's interesting. Especially in light of the way things are today. Well, notice what Solomon has to say about friendship. Solomon begins by asserting the value of friendship. In verse number 9, he says that friendship is a a good investment. There are rewards associated with friendship. Notice he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Uh, He mentions rewards, and it is true that there are rewards associated with friendship. Friendship. a good friend will be a source of blessing. He'll, he'll be uh, there when you need him, that kind of thing. Well, why does Solomon say that a friend, that friendship is a good investment? Well, he mentions, he mentions four things. We're going to uh, move through these rather quickly, but uh, four things that he mentions that are very important. Number one, a real friend will pick you up when you fall. Look at verse number 10. It says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. He is there to help when you struggle. And it could be any, any kind of a struggle. Uh, it could be a battle that you're having in your life spiritually. It could be a, a physical battle, a challenge that you're having uh, physically. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a, a mental thing and you're just dealing with discouragement. Uh, but he's always there. That's the, that's the uh, important thing. Uh, we talk sometime about friends and we say, you know, so-and-so, well, they'll, they'll be your friend and they'll be there. It doesn't matter what time of day or night. It doesn't matter what the situation. They're going to be there. And we talk about that a lot. But the truth is those kinds of friends are pretty rare. Uh, they do exist, but they're not as commonplace as, as people would like to think that they are. But uh, if you've got a friend like that, then you ought to value them because that is what a, what a true friend is like. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loveth at all times, 
and a brother is born for adversity. We quote the first part of that of that verse often, but the second part is what indicates the 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 substance of the friendship. A, a brother is born for adversity. He's there through thick and thin. A youth minister was attending a Special Olympics where handicapped, handicapped children competed with tremendous dedication and enthusiasm. One event was the 220-yard dash. Contestants lined up at the starting line and at the signal started running as fast as they could. One boy by the name of Andrew quickly took the lead and was soon about 50 yards ahead of everybody else. As he approached the final turn, he looked back and he saw that his best friend had fallen and hurt himself on the track. Andrew stopped and he looked at the finish line, which was right right in front of him. And then he looked back at his, at his friend on the, on the track. People were hollering, run, Andrew, run. But he did. He went back and he got his friend, helped him up, brushed off the cinders, and hand in hand, they crossed the finish line dead last. But as they did, the people cheered because there are some things that are more important than finishing first. Um, are you that kind of friend? That, that, that indicates a willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the one you call your friend. Um, in our society today, what uh, kids generally are being taught is not that friends are worth sacrificing for. Generally, they're being taught that what they want is more important than anything else. Uh, that's the example that are being given to them by so many adults. I'm not talking about people in this room. I'm not talking about uh, in, in, in general, but I'm talking about those who are in places of influence in our society today generally are, are, uh, don't demonstrate the characteristics of friendship. They're demonstrating the characteristics of selfishness and uh, desire to, to have what they want. So a real friend will pick you up when you fall. Number two, a real friend will provide warmth and support in a world that is unquestionably cruel and unfriendly. Look at, uh, at verse, number, uh, verse number 11. It says, again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? Um, he is there when you need him the most, and he doesn't ask why. He just comes, and in doing so, he's there to provide whatever, whatever your need may be. Um, again, in a world that is as cruel and as unfriendly as this world is, it's, uh, it's very unique to have someone who will come when you have a sincere need, and they'll come without asking why. They'll just come. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it at all, but it's getting less friendly out in the world. Now, it's, uh, it, it's, it's different in different places. But, uh, but there are places where you can go, pockets and, and 
you know, where, where people are still very friendly. But, uh, but there are other places where um, you find that people are not very friendly. And, uh, and they're, not, uh, they're not open to being helpful. Uh, they get upset if you do something that they think you should not have done. And, and you, didn't, you didn't do it on purpose, but it, but it happened. Um, the other day we were, we were living in North Carolina in that area in Waxhaw and, and I'm still learning my way around and, uh, it's kind of, uh, traffic's kind of heavy on occasion and I'm driving down the street and I'm trying to figure out exactly how to get back where I need to be and, uh, and it's a, a pretty, pretty congested, uh, intersection and so I get up and I realize that the, where the light is down the way there's just a lot of traffic and it's going to be very difficult so I decide at the street right before the where the light is I'll make a right hand turn and go down well I got up there and I realized that and so I turned my blinker on and started to make a right turn and as I did there was a guy a young man sitting in a car right across the, he, he was getting ready to go across the road or turn left or something, I'm not sure. But as I turned, I looked over there, and he's going nuts. I mean, he's looking at me, and he's yelling at me, and he's pointing his finger, and he is upset with me. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I didn't really do this, but I, I thought about asking, is that the way I look sometimes? <laughs> That's not true. I don't do that. But uh, she just knows about it because I talked to her. But this guy, I mean, he was, he was about to come out of the window after me. And I, and I kind of thought, because of the, the intersection there, he probably thought, I wish you to turn your blinker on a little sooner than I could have gone ahead and gone across. But he couldn't because I didn't, you know, until I got there or whatever. But, uh, but it's not, that, that kind of thing is not uncommon. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you're in a, in a strange place and you've got a different, a tag from a different state and you're driving down and all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, I've got to be in that lane to get, and, it's, and so you turn your blinker on and you wait for somebody to be kind, somebody to be your friend. And uh, it's hard sometimes to find anybody who will be your friend in a situation like that. Now that's, those are kind of simple illustrations but they indicate what is true in the mindset of so many in our society today. They're busy, they're in a hurry, they've got to get where they're going, they're doing their thing, and they don't want anything to, to, to get in their way. But a real friend will, um, uh, will provide warmth and support in a world that is unquestionably cruel and unfriendly. The great thing about that was when that happened, my wife comforted me when uh, that guy was hollering at me. So uh, anyway, number three, a real friend will fight on your behalf. Verse number 12 says that if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him in a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A real friend will be loyal to you. He will be faithful. He'll be He'll be supportive. He will not deceive you. He will not betray you. Instead, 
a real friend will do what they can to defend you and to help you. And uh, so a real friend will fight on your behalf. And then number four, a real friend will provide spiritual encouragement. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a friend that needed to tell you something that was a little bit uncomfortable? Maybe it was something that you did not want to hear. A situation where you needed guidance to go a little different direction or maybe to have a little different attitude than you had to begin with. And your friend, or in many cases, maybe your spouse, who will tell you, uh, you know, there's another way to look at that, and maybe it's not quite the way you've got it pictured in your mind. And, and they will help you to grow. They'll give you spiritual encouragement that will help you to think right so that you will act right. And, uh, and it will benefit you down the road. So uh, a real friend will pick you up when you fall down. He'll be there to provide warmth and support in a world that is unquestionably cruel and unfriendly. He'll fight on your behalf, and he will provide spiritual encouragement for you when you need it. So now let me give you four, four requirements for a deep abiding friendship. This is the application. Four things that will help you to be a, a, a good friend. But first of all, friendship requires familiarity. Or you've got to know a person to befriend them well. I mean, you, it, if, you, if you're going to be their friend, you've got to know what they need. Um, sometimes those who need a friend are the least willing to do what's necessary to be able to have a friend. Uh, they may even push you away. You try to help somebody and they decide that they don't want your help. And so the, the thing we think is best in that situation is, well, okay, if you don't want it, then I'll, I'll back off or whatever. But the only way you can provide real help for someone is if you know them. You have to get to know them. There must be knowledge about them. There must be transparency. There must be vulnerability. Friendship requires vulnerability. But you know what vulnerability means? It means that there is the potential for you to get hurt. The more vulnerable you're willing to make yourself, the greater the capacity for a friendship. But the opposite is also true. That, that brings about the greatest potential for there to be pain as well. But friendship, if it's going to be a deep abiding friendship, it requires familiarity. It requires transparency, a willingness to open up so that you can become friends. I've known some who uh, are very cautious about, about exposing themselves in that way. Preachers in particular, they, they, they don't want people to know too much about them. 
because they're afraid, at least this is the, the excuse we use, we're afraid that somebody find too much about, find out too much about me, they're going to find out that I am not uh, a perfect uh, individual. I've got flaws and they're chinks and, and they, we're afraid when they find out they're going to, they're going to lose respect for us. But the truth is everybody's less than perfect. Everybody's human. And, uh, and it's not necessary to guard ourselves that, that carefully. And, and to be honest with you, that's why some preachers end up finding themselves being kind of isolated. And, uh, and they, don't, they don't have many friends. Friendship requires familiarity. Some, number two, friendship requires fellowship. If you're going to have friends, you have to spend time with your friends. There must, there must, be, there must be time. There must be interest in your friend. There must be communication with your friend. Um, and, and generally speaking, we think that communication needs to go both ways. For a friendship to be strong, that's true. But genuine friendship for someone else, you, you pay the price for that friendship whether they return it or not. Um, so it's, uh, that's being a friend. Anyway, friendship requires fellowship, time, interest, communication. If you're going to be the friend, put forth the effort to take responsibility for making sure those things occur, if at all possible. Number three, friendship requires faithfulness. That means that you've got to be able, your friend has to be able to trust you. Um... When you talk about friendship in a marriage relationship, that certainly is of utmost importance because a husband has to be able to and willing to trust his wife and a wife has to be willing and able to trust her husband. Uh, there must be trust. There must be sincerity. You can't, can't have any, any, uh, any kind of a mindset that, uh, you, you know, it's, it's one thing to... to um, to be jovial and to, and to, to have fun and, and that kind of thing. It's another thing when you do it and you cause pain to the person that you are having fun with. And that happens more often than it should. Uh, I've known people have been married for a while and, and the husband says things that I cringe. And he says about her, his wife or, or the wife will say something or make a joke about her husband that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Why in the world would, would they say that? Um, sincerity. There needs to be, yeah, uh, when, when you say trust, you need to be willing to be able to trust that they're not going to do or say anything that is um, hurtful, or damaging, or that kind of thing. Um, that just, you know, that damages the, the friendship. And then there needs to be dependability. You know, there needs to be a, uh, the fact that your, your friend can depend on you. 
And then the fourth thing, and this one often is the hardest, and that is friendship requires forgiveness. A willingness to forgive. Uh, that means we know about the mistakes they make, the errors in judgment, the things that, that are not, that should not be there or whatever. But knowledge does not equal desertion. There are people who abandon uh, in a marriage, abandon their spouse because of when they find out something because they are unwilling to forgive. And uh, sometimes they say, well, that's just, it's just, it's just too much. I can't forgive that. That's not true. We're supposed to forgive like our God forgave us. And when God forgave us, he did so knowing full well all that we have done. And, uh, and we need to be willing to do that. Now, forgiving does not mean that we ignore the transgression. It does not mean that we forget the transaction, transgression. But it does mean, it does mean that we do not demand justice on our terms. We get in trouble because we look at what's been done and we, and, we, and we focus on the hurt we've felt. And we come to a conclusion about what is a just punishment for what they have done. And then we demand that that's what is necessary. The problem is we don't have that right to vengeance. Uh, the Lord the Lord will repay. He's the one who has the right to vengeance. And we need to be willing to leave that to the Lord. And we don't have the authority, even though we're the one who has been hurt, we don't have the authority to pass judgment on what God may decide is a justified punishment for what they've done. We end up getting in trouble when we do that. So we do not it does mean that we do not demand justice on our terms. We leave that up to God. He, he knows far better what was in their heart. He knows far better the extent of what they've done. And he knows far better what is a just uh, punishment for what they've done. A real friend chooses to ignore faults and failures and pays any price necessary to help their friend without expecting anything in return. Now those terms don't make any sense in our society today. Because in our society today, you, you do something nice for someone, then you expect it to be returned. And if they, if they mess up and they do something unkind after you've done something nice for them, then buddy, that's it. It's over. You, you're done for. That's not scriptural. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We are willing to ignore faults and failures and pay any price necessary to help our friend and expect nothing in return. That's not realistic humanly. It's not something that we as human beings, it's not natural for us to want to act that way. But it is a godly response. It is what the Bible says we're supposed to do. A grandmother 
who was celebrating her golden wedding anniversary, was asked to reveal the secret to her long and happy marriage. And here's what she said. So on my wedding day, I decided to make a list of ten of my husband's faults, which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. That was her response. Now let me ask you, when you got married, did you already know ten faults? Did you... Did, did, did your wife have ten faults when you married her? Did your husband have ten faults when you married him? I mean, most people, when they get married, uh, they're not really sure that they have any faults. Because they, they see them. You know, you see the best. Before you're married, you're dating. When you go to pick up your date, or, or however you meet, however, however, however it happens, the guy's trying to, to look his best and act his best and so is the the girl and and they're putting their best foot forward and you really don't see that real person until after you get married and you wake up together the next morning and your wife turns and looks at you and says good morning and you say whoo brides shortly after they get married they don't they don't have bad breath after they sleep all night do they and certainly the men don't. But I mean, sometimes that's a real, you know. And then and then you go on, and after several weeks, you say, well, man, I didn't know he was like that. I didn't know he'd do that. You know, and the same thing goes the other way. And you learn about faults that you didn't know existed. Well, this woman said, on my wedding day, I decided to make a list of ten of my husband's faults which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. One of the guests asked the woman to disclose which faults she had placed on the list. And here's what the woman said. To tell you the truth, my dear, I never got around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I would say to myself, Lucky for him, that was one of the ten. <laughs> we laugh about that, but that was pretty. That's pretty wise. I mean, that's that's a good way to deal with it. There are going to be faults, and there may be more than ten of them. But you choose to overlook them for the sake of the relationship. Two sides to friendship: having friends and being a friend. The world emphasizes the importance of having friends, while scriptural, Scripture emphasizes the importance of being a friend. If you will be a friend, then having friends will take care of itself. Luke 12, 1 through 8. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. Let's look at this passage real quickly, and then we'll be finished. Luke chapter 12. And verse number one, it's talking about being careful about hypocrisy. But he says, verse one of, of Luke chapter 12, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there's nothing covered 
that still that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them to kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many spirits, uh, sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall, I, him shall the Son of Man confess also before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Whomsoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. But he, 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 he says to them, he says to them, uh, you are my friends. And in saying that, he goes on to explain, you're more value than the sparrows. You're more value than, uh, than um, I mean, the hairs of your head are even numbered. Um, so I, I am your friend in spite of all of this that goes on. And he's making a point that he is going to be there uh, in whatever situation they find themselves. He's going to be there for them. So what kind of friend are you? A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend is there in thick and thin. It doesn't matter what happens. A friend is someone who uh, knows, your, knows your problems and loves you anyway. Um, that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and we've talked primarily about relationships, close relationships, but friendships extend beyond family relationships. And, um, and in being that friend, not only do you let them know how much you care about them and you are there to help them, that friendship may be the means of them finding Christ as their Savior. So may God help us all not to just want friends, but to be a friend. It costs something to be a friend. It requires our willingness to sacrifice in some ways, but it's very, very rewarding if we're willing to do it. Let's stand together as has been asked closely.